As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and with me today to talk some Major League Soccer and a little USL as well is a man whose doctor says he does not need a bacchiotomy. It's Jeff Reuter <laughs> of The Athletic. Hello, Jeff. Hi, uh, and thank you for following me on Twitter. This really meant a lot. Been, this happened like 20 minutes ago, and I'm, I've been tickled every day. So thank you for having me. So I, I, I explained this to you like a little bit already in a in a panicked, uh, anxiety-induced state, but I will do it again here. Like. I we we used to just use the Total Soccer Show account, so it was basically only times when I would text Daryl and be like, "I shouldn't tweet this from the Total Soccer Show account, should I?" And he's like, "No, no, you should not." And then I would use my personal account. I've tried to have more of a balance these days, but as a result, I realize how few people I ever followed from my personal one. Like, I think at one point I only had like twenty six people, all of whom I followed like nine years ago. So I've been updating it, but it does feel like a, a slow burn every single time when I'm like, "Hey, Jeff, we've known each other for years now." want to be twitter friends so thank you for accepting that though i I feel honored and privileged isn't that like such an unnecessarily stressful question though when someone approaches i I get this sometimes where people will be like hey why don't you follow me on twitter and like sometimes the answer is just like i don't wanna right and like there's nothing wrong with that it's not like i wouldn't spend time with you it's just like i need to like keep my twitter feed either as streamlined as possible or i have a lot of redundancies of voices and your best stuff this, this is specifically now talking about people who work in soccer, frankly, which is we're off to a great start. <laughs> um, it, it's just like I, your best takes show up on my feed anyway. Everyone will retweet you. So it's, a, it's just Twitter. Like, it's just Twitter. Right. So I'm, you know. I'm not trying to be contrarian. I don't think anyone has ever asked me, why don't you follow me? Is that a question you get? Like, I feel like you, you're are you an in-demand Twitter follower? Is that what it is? Apparently, yeah. I mean, this, this happened more when like the world was open, and I would walk into a bar, and people would be like, "Oh, I'm gonna follow you on Twitter. You should follow me back." And I'm like, uh, <laughs> "Oh, uh, that may so, have happened to me as well in bars. I just might not remember it because it was in bars. That could be. That could yeah. well be." Uh, well, Jeff is here, as I said, to talk uh, some major league soccer, but obviously, you you cover uh, USL pretty extensively as well. We we had USL League One already kick off, USL Championship kicking off this weekend. It, it made me wonder. Uh, I did ask Jeff if he doesn't mind me asking a very broad question before we start recording, and here it is. Uh, are there USL teams that you think are 
like particularly well run because you see a lot of coverage of jersey releases and new teams launching and and plans for the future but some of those end up happening some of them do not so for you jeff who has the experience who are the teams that you think do the most on and off the field yeah this won't be an exhaustive list so when i leave your favorite club off listener um that is not on purpose uh (laughs) i'm I'm going to phrase it as such though the title of the episode will be usl clubs that jeff doesn't respect the only the only usl clubs jeff respects yes (laughs) there it is there it is perfect um look i think that some of them are just very apparent based off of where they finish on the table because uh, an easy way to tell how well run a team is is how good the team is because a large portion like an outsized portion of expenditure at this level will go into player wages which isn't to say that teams are spending a lot of money but like these days a competitive usl championship club for example the the wage budget in total is probably somewhere between half a million and seven hundred thousand dollars so when you're looking at that scale compared to what clubs can make when they're hosting 4,000 fans a game or just local marketing considerations only, right? Um, You you come out with clubs that are like, you know, Louisville City, Phoenix Rising, Tampa Bay Rowdies, um, El Paso Locomotive, New Mexico United, uh, which are clubs that are habitually over the last few years toward the top of the table. I've been really impressed with the direction of Birmingham Legion, I will also say. Uh, Jay Heaps, uh, who you may remember from uh, a life spent with the New England Revolution. Um, and a little Miami Fusion, I do believe. And a little, just a tasteful amount of Miami Fusion in there, just <laughs> to keep life interesting. Um, he uh, he is the president and also the general manager of that club. Um, and, and so he's also kind of coming in from a perspective of uh, what has worked at other levels and what has not worked at other levels that I think has helped. Uh, and they're just really tapping into that community quite well. Um, I mean, on the League One side, though, there's, there's a couple where that is so community-focused, where you're looking at someone like Ford Madison and and not taking it too seriously, but also clearly being able to back up what they're doing and not just throwing caution to the wind uh, unless they're trying to sell potatoes on their team store for 200 bucks, which I respect immensely. Uh, I mean, like the Richmond Kickers as well. I mean, the the, the cookie jersey, just the concept of it. You've <laughs> described it to me now before we recorded as well. But the idea of really tapping into like a local deli counter yeah. and being like, oh, our fans grew up with this. And so now they get to see it on the field, too. That's so cool. Like stuff like that, I think, goes even further the further down you get on the pyramid and you look at like you know npsl teams and usl league two teams who are able to have that same sort of hyper consciousness of what community members not just soccer fans but the community as a whole will latch onto. um that by and large will be the most successful thing and that is the exact thing that big clubs in europe are wrestling with is how do we get local cookie considerations on our jerseys as we start this european uh, yeah. super league yeah so. i have a feeling the european super league uh, clubs if that ends up happening are going to be less concerned about local sponsors than maybe ever in human history interesting you know even phrasing it like that implies they'll have any consideration for local sponsors which seems a bit gener- or, uh, generous at this point doesn't it yeah <laughs> look oh, at that. the european just, super league i want to say like it is not easy to synthetically uh even like yeah just even that but especially organically um get a link between the usl (laughs) and the european super league or as i'm calling it the european soccer league so i I think that um however you can do it i mean you know well in terms in terms of soccer leagues we do have one to discuss in terms of major league soccer which did start uh this past week and i'm going to move us away from the depressing topic to the happier topic of of good soccer being played and fun soccer being played which is what i would say we saw this weekend i i wasn't sure what we would get because it's 
you know, like we still have the pandemic situation. We've got teams playing uh, not at home because they can't. And we've maybe got some teams that look more fit than others. So I wasn't sure what the quality would be. And with that in mind, Jeff, I wanted to start off with, like, is there a week, generally speaking, when you feel like you sort of have a good read on these MLS teams? It, like, because week one, you can get an idea, right? But then maybe it takes a few few weeks or maybe longer than that to, to know for sure if this team is good or bad. Yeah, certainly not the first week because I was looking back at last year's results um, because I had picked Minnesota United to win the supporter shield in our staff picks because, okay, they had the depth, fifth year of the coach, fifth year of the club, good core, so close to making MLS Cup last year, and then they lost 4-0 in the opener. I'm like, okay, so am I screwed? Like, is it there's just no chance that that pick could come true? The Philadelphia Union lost their opener last year, so and they still won the supporter shield. So it, it definitely isn't this early. I think that with very few exceptions by the 10th or so week, you will be able to tell how a team is going to be generally like within plus or minus two spots on the table per conference. Um, there are a couple of exceptions that come to mind, but both are like five years old at this point. There's Didier Drogba going to the Montreal, then impact. Um, and he made a serious impact uh, then. And and there was uh, the Seattle Sounders when they made the coaching change from the late Ziggy Schmidt to Brian Schmetzer and also brought in Nicholas Lodero. Uh, and, and they ended up winning MLS Cup off the back of that. But they still finished sixth in the West, which was about where they were trending anyway. So I, I think that, it will take probably a third of the season, so 10 results, give or take 11, 12, um, to really get a better sense uh, of where these mm-hmm. teams are heading. And then most importantly, maybe identifying what the biggest holes are so that whether they're trading within the league or they're trying to bring players in from outside of Major League Soccer, they know what they're addressing and you can get a sense of, OK, if they got that midfielder, if they got that right back, they would be in so much better in a much better spot for the rest of the season. And I'm also going to assume that maybe maybe not 10 weeks, but a, a few weeks is how long it used to take for teams to maybe get the fitness up, the team fitness up. I, I know sometimes with sports, you've got players that show up to uh, to preseason already in shape, and then you have people who show up to preseason ready to get into shape because they're in preseason <laughs> form. It feels like that's gone a little bit by the wayside with managers like Gabriel Ince coming in, Hernan Lozada, the, the weigh-ins, the monitoring of everything. But I'm going to assume there are still some clubs out there, some teams out there in Major League Soccer who don't mind as much. Like Bruce Arena seems like the type of coach who wouldn't care if a player shows up a few pounds overweight. Phil Neville, uh, if he does, definitely wasn't showing it with Gonzalo Higuain. So are, are there coaches you think that don't mind as much if players sort of show up to preseason in that preseason shape? Yeah, Phil Neville was going to be my go-to for that one as well. And I, <laughs> I think that you saw that with Inter Miami. Um, especially as, it, I mean, it's the teams where... You, you say things like for 70 minutes, they looked great. And how many, and there were some good examples yep. of that this weekend. Miami was the best one, but I think that you could look at Cincinnati and say a similar thing. You could look at, um, uh, who else kind of capitulated towards the stretch? I, you know, like they were, there were a few teams that were definitely, uh, Minnesota, maybe Minnesota is like the strongest example of this. Now that I'm thinking about it. Yes. Um, where you look at it and it's just like, uh maybe they would have used tech week so i come from a theater background as well and like tech week is where you're ironing out all of these issues and making sure that everything goes well for the next weekend but you're running it like it's a performance so it's like preseason friendlies i guess and they could have just used a tech week (laughs) to get into (laughs) this season but alas there is no tech week in major league soccer i will say though I thought by and large, and maybe it's just they had one additional team, so it skews the percentages, that more of the league looked ready for this than they looked in July last year for the MLS's back tournament. I think that the entertainment value of opening weekend, maybe partially because there were no teams playing at 9 a.m., but Mm -hmm. 
uh, I thought that it was a much more entertaining start to the season than MLS's back was, especially once you got to like that second round of group stage games. Yeah, I would agree. I thought, like, as I said, I thought like goals going in, some like maybe goals of the season nominees already in week one. That's not a bad place to start. I would say yeah. since you've mentioned them already, Inter-Miami uh, looked good for at least some stretches of that game in the 3-2 loss to the Galaxy. The one that I thought was really positive in a way that I did not expect was Gonzalo Higuain, the aforementioned, who... Uh, like, again, did not look the most fit, and, and the comparisons to both myself and Matt Doyle were probably apt, but also hurtful, not just because of the shaved head and the beard, but because of, he, he did not look to be a shape that was in shape, is I guess the way I'll explain it, but he gets a goal, he gets an assist, and the thing I saw a lot from him was, a lot of involvement with his teammates, a lot of interactions. There, if there, if the ball wasn't squared the way he wanted it, he wasn't yelling at a player, he wasn't demanding it, but it was sort of like, hey, here's the way I wanted that ball played. It was instructions on the field that just it seemed like it was a more harmonious team. It was a it was a happier Iguain, but it's also an Iguain that I did. I will be honest and say I did not watch that much of last season. I'm assuming you watched at least a little more than I did. So, did you see differences? Obviously, it's week one between what you saw from him already this year and last year? And and maybe a broader question would be, what do you think were the primary issues with Iguain and Inter-Miami last year? Yeah, I, I think that for Inter-Miami last year, there were a couple of major issues. One, whether it was Iguain or Matuidi, they were brought in on the back of a grueling European season mm-hmm. where they had been playing for a favorite who was demanding hardware. So it's one thing if you're making that move from... I mean, you see this all the time, right? Like a a player who is kind of in and out of a team in the mid table and then they finish the season in July. Uh, Unfortunately, I guess Wayne Rooney is a good example of this where you look and he was kind of in and out of Everton by the time he had agreed to go to D.C. United. And so it's able he's able to hit the ground running a little easier. Uh, Zlatan was in a very similar spot with Manchester United as well, with the caveat that he was coming off of a knee injury as well. Um, But when you're playing for Juventus. You don't really have that luxury, especially when you're a regular starter, like especially Matuidi was at that point. So I I think that there was just some general exhaustion that both of them are going through. They also were coming into a club that, as is now very publicly readily available, not uh, cohesive, (laughs) not harmonious, weren't just kind of walking and be like, ah, yes, this is the Inter-Miami way, right? Like they were still very much building the plane as they were in the air. Um, and, And it took until late this offseason to really start to get a sense of, okay, I think that they have that much more uh, in line, mostly after they hired Chris Henderson, frankly. And and he's been very good. He was open about, yes, we have four DPs on the roster. We have to work through something. Um, so I think that in terms of the club structure and Iguayan itself, it was just really walking into a situation where he was almost destined to fail unless the service was so spectacular that he couldn't miss. Um, but when you look at the opener, I think that the play that really speaks volumes to me is – uh, where he gets a breakaway and he is going up against the goalkeeper. And rather than trying to go uh, you know, near post and beat the goalkeeper, who's kind of cut the angle off pretty well, um, he squares it and sends it to Robbie Robinson, mm-hmm. a guy that we forgot was taken first overall in the 2020 Super Draft. Um, several picks above Daryl DK, mind you, um, and didn't play much last year and, and didn't play in the tournament either uh, at MLS's back. And so... Uh, it's a player that he certainly wouldn't have any reason to have that much confidence in to say, like, yes, I will get rid of uh, my continued pursuit for my first open play goal. And I'm just going to square it to this this child in his eyes. Right. Um, and hope that he finishes it. But it was a confident finish, nonetheless, on the first touch from Robbie Robinson as well. So just the idea that he is. Also, and I know it's so minor, right? It's just like, okay, he's going to be used to wanting goals. He's going to pass it to whoever's open in theory. 
But for your striker, who really struggled for half of a season last year, didn't score a single goal from the run of play, have that sort of a chance and still pass it, that's a pretty good sign if I'm in your Miami fans, um, just in terms of his buy-in to Neville's project and to making sure that the team is much better than they were last year. Whether or not they can be, who knows? But that's a good indication. I think that's a really good point, man. Because like, like there is a world in which he wants to prove himself. He wants to prove, like, no, I'm going to be the goal scorer. I'm going to be the main threat. Takes that shot near post and it's saved. And then there's the issue of like, well, he had Robinson open. Why doesn't he square it there? And what does that mean? And like, yeah, I think it, it, it doesn't necessarily solve problems for Inter-Miami, but it just kind of shows a different level. And I think that is that is certainly a good thing. It's certainly a good thing for Robinson to get the goal. He, for the longest time, was my uh, my second straight Twitter reference in one show. Uh, he was my like my Twitter header for a while was his draft phone call with david beckham where i think he's holding his phone vertically and he's like at a different angle than beckham it was very weird it was a strange draft but i'm glad he scored i also thought it was interesting in this game that you have two new coaches uh in phil neville and obviously greg vandy with the galaxy uh and la not looking very good in the first half the second half they come out vandy changes things up they're in more of a 4-4-2 chicharito has support around him the goals come they get the win and it made me wonder, like, is this the reason why Greg Vanny is there to be able to make these adjustments to kind of have the familiarity with the league that allows him to know what needs to happen? Or basically, is any coach going to be an upgrade on where things were under uh, Shalato? Yeah, the hard part, too, is that it wasn't even just Shalato. It had looked that way from... I guess Dom Kinnear somehow got a little bit more out of the team, but uh, Kurt Anolfo certainly had many of the same problems during his tenure with the Galaxy. Like it just, the club really looked like their whole philosophy had been since signing David Beckham. Let's sign two or three players that most teams couldn't afford. <laughs> let's let's try our yep. hardest to get two more years out of Dan Gargan, and from there let's see how it goes. Right, and and I think that they were still trying that exact same formula for better or for worse, always for worse, frankly, over the last four years. And they hadn't really had a good moment since they lost that PK shootout to Tim Howard's Colorado Rapids in 2016. Um, I think with Vanny, what you get is someone who one has proven it in the league. And and say what you will about Curtinolfo, say what you will about uh Shaloto, they they hadn't really done that they hadn't really shown that yes they will be able to work with the oddities of whether it's the travel whether it's the the more physicality what have you that they would be able to do similar work to what vanny did in toronto he turned a club that was an absolute punchline uh people kind of forget that this these days isn't that convenient how like for half of their time in mls toronto was like an absolute bottom feeder yep. and then Vanny and greater investment from ownership, to be fair, helped really turn that around. First, it was Jermaine Defoe and Javinko, and then it was Michael Bradley, um, or sorry, it was Michael Bradley and Jermaine Defoe, and then it was Javinko and Altador coming in as Defoe left. And that really changed the course of the entire franchise, frankly, uh, at least for the foreseeable future. And, and so I think that they look and say, okay, we are admittedly probably in a similar standing to what Toronto was. We have the means, we have the interest. Um, the brand isn't the issue. We're not rebranding ourselves every three years like some other clubs in this league right now. But what our issue is, is that we don't have a coach who knows what they're doing. And so Vanny is a good option for that. There's also just a little bit of a sentimental value there because he won two MLS best 11s and a supporter shield during his time with the Galaxy. So he'll have some sort of standard in mind in terms of this is what the LA Galaxy should be. And I think that is important, frankly. If you're going to be a club like the Galaxy who claims to be one of really only two true legacy clubs in MLS, along with DC United, I would argue, you should be 
playing a certain way. You should be playing at a certain level of the table, if nothing else. And, and they just need to get back there. Um, I think that he's frankly found a perfect kind of leading man in Chicharito for this. I, d- I don't know how much you want to talk about Chicharito this episode, but plenty, uh, plenty. Great. Um, I just, I don't know, man. I, I, I keep coming back to this and I, I said this on a radio show that went off into the ether yesterday. So I feel like I can say this yeah. <laughs> again and not be repeating old material. <laughs> I haven't written this is what I'm saying. Um, MLS is best when it has heroes and villains. And, and it, it's truly at its best when you can, I don't know. I mean, the Galaxy, for better or worse, need to play the role of the Yankees. They need to be the team that everyone's like, ah, oh, they're bad. But they're, they're, they're cheering on that the Galaxy are bad because they know inevitably they're going to come and beat their favorite team anyway. Um, so you savor those little moments. You need a team that is going to be kind of in the thick of it. Last year, in 2020, Joseph Martinez uh, was out for the entire year. And I think that he's somebody where when he's not playing against your team, everyone loves rooting for Joseph Martinez. And as soon as he's against your team, you are hoping against hope that your team is going to be able to neutralize him. There Mm -hmm. weren't really that many kind of singular figures throughout the 2020 season. And part of that, of course, is the pandemic. But part of it is, uh, you know, a guy like Chicharito was really struggling to replace Zlatan. There was so much energy that was lost after the 2019 season when Zlatan and Wayne Rooney left in terms of that just irresistible personality in Zlatan's case and irresistible talent in both players' case at that time. Um, and I think that Chicharito does really well. And I think that a lot of people were ready to cast him as a villain because of the, the history with El Tree, because of his dominance in certain games over the U.S. men's national team. But that interview that he gave after the game, talking about the difficulty of adjusting, about how much those goals mean to him, about how he also doesn't really care if he scores the goals or if uh, someone further behind him does, right? Like, being able to see a player with that much emotion is just so fun to root for from a neutral perspective and seeing somebody who is just over the moon to score a goal playing at Lockhart Stadium in April uh, when the game doesn't really matter but still scoring two goals just puts so much electricity onto his face and into his teammates Um, that is great to see and I think that if Chicharito can fill in that void of being someone who when you're not playing against them you root for them um, MLS is just a little better There, there need to be some of those personalities that even when they're not on your radar because of your favorite team, you are still keeping tabs on them because they're in the league. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So I'm, I tend to watch celebrations almost as intensely as I watch the goals themselves because I feel like they do tell you certain things. Like uh, Robbie Robinson, I think when he scores the, the sort of in-step pass into the goal, I think runs away to the corner flag to celebrate. And there was a moment when I was like, dude, you, like, 
you got to tap in because somebody scored you that ball. You got to go celebrate with the person who gave you the tap in. Right. Raul Ruiz knew, knows this. That's how he celebrated his first goal. Uh, but I loved watching Chicharito celebrations because it meant so much. And when Kleshton scores that winner, I watched Chicharito. I went back and watched him like five different times to see everything yeah. he does because he is so up for it and wants to be the first one to celebrate and has to like evade Miami players to be able to get to Kleshton to celebrate. And that whole team just seemed very very happy to get a win more so than just like ah, hey, yeah wins a win that's always good to win the opener it did feel a little bit like there was a weight off there was a little bit of a burden off there was maybe just a, a everybody could take a breath and I think that's probably always a good thing when you've got a lot, a lot of pressure coming into the season and I and I won't say that Greg Vanny will be happy to have had to come back right and I, I don't think that that's necessarily his game plan is okay let's let's get one one let's give up a penalty and then let's score two goals the last 15 20 minutes and that's how we're going to approach every game that's not a very sustainable way to play the game but it's a great way to sort of indicate to your fan base and to your locker room that hey it's going to be different i will be willing to make those adjustments i'm willing to put players into better spaces i'm willing to find ways chicharito to not make you on an island and say, how couldn't you create your own chances? You're the best player on this team, right? Like, I'm not going to put that pressure on you. I'm going to put you in a place to succeed. And and like you said, that celebration on Kleshton's goal, it, it, the first time that I saw the replay where it was just like right behind Kleshton's jersey, like I was watching to see, okay, did Chicharito get a toe on it? Did he think that he had a hat trick suddenly? Because it was just such like, just such vibrant, palpable joy uh, from where I was watching in Minneapolis. And it was just so cool to see um, that, yeah, I, it does feel like there's something just a little different. And and I had told myself going into this year uh, that I wouldn't make the same mistake I'd made in season previews gone by hmm. over the last four or five years, where I would just say, oh, it's the galaxy, they'll find a way. That, that sort of legacy that Sheen had kind of uh, worn off over the last few years but it looks like there's the first step to indicate that yeah, maybe we can kind of buff that car up and maybe there's something there after all. Well, speaking of season uh, preview predictions that maybe didn't go that well or might not go that well, <laughs> I believe you had Minnesota winning the West. So let's talk about them losing 4-0 to Seattle, shall we? Yeah, let's do that. That seems like a good segue. Uh, <laughs> I also feel like you didn't necessarily do it intentionally, but you failing to leave them out as a team that maybe struggled in the second half uh, is telling. Uh, what do you think the difference was? Was it just that they maybe didn't have the fitness yet? Because it is nil-nil at halftime. There are chances for both teams. The second half, it goes a different way. So what was the difference between the first and second halves? I, I think that... The, the reason that I picked Minnesota to win the West was for the regular season. I didn't pick them to get MLS Cup, and I feel like I probably should have reversed those after this game, but here we are. <laughs> um, but I think the reason that I had them is just like the depth was there, uh -huh. is that they, they went out, they were signing, maybe not at striker, but every other position. You would look at that midfield and say, okay, they have Jan Gregus, Ozzy Alonso, Will Trapp, Hassani Dotson, and Ja'Cory Hayes, and only two of them are going to play every week. So you're always going to have two fresh starting level midfielders that's a luxury that very few if any teams in this league have including the columbus crew so what i forgot to account for <laughs> is that in the history of this club being an mls which this is their fifth season so history you know in in scare quotes but they have had exactly two starting caliber left-footed center backs the first was francisco calvo who arguably is best when he's not played at center back and they ended up trading him right as they sort of took off in 2019 to the Chicago Fire, where he is today. Uh, and the other is Bakai Debasi, who joined last summer, was absolutely overshadowed by Emmanuel Reynoso, understandably. Um, left foot of center back, played in France, 
uh, can play left back. But I mean, his, his size, his m- positioning, his marking uh, really lends him well to be a partner for Michael Bockel as a center back duo. Uh, he's gone. He is not there. It's not necessarily fully injury. I think that there's just some precautions and some issues getting him into the country as well. But uh, they don't have someone else who could fill in who is left footed. And so when they're trying to play like a truly balanced build off of either side on either wing, uh, as Adrian Heath is trying to do over the last year and a half, if you don't have a left footed center back, it's much more difficult to do that. And so you've got Brent Coleman, who for the first 70 minutes, 60 minutes was doing what he's done throughout the entirety of his time at MLS since 2017, which is um, hard nosed determination, uh, really solid man marking um when his body is agreeing he's had some issues with his hip that that caused him to go into that ped suspension uh in 2019 some people might remember um but you know for 60 70 minutes he was hanging in there and then i think at a certain point raul Ruiz diaz and christian roldan were like well wait a minute that guy didn't start <laughs> in the uh the uh western conference final last year and maybe we should just go after that guy a little bit more. And so then you would see Rui Diaz kind of going in one direction, Christian Roldan going on another, Alex Roldan doing very unnecessary techers uh, from the right back position just for show, just to remind people that he's still there. And eventually they broke uh, Coleman and Chase Gasper, the left back down, and it was over and over and it was systemic and it was so easy. But I think that you look at the quality of the goals from like, you know, Joe Pedro and you say like these weren't fluky goals these weren't necessarily goals where you can point at like one mistake and say okay this team will fix it it's just that they were outplayed in that area of the pitch and how do you fix it well you might need someone who's a little bit of a better fit in that position um so i don't think that minnesota fans will leave that feeling like the season is going to start like 2017 you know where they were just kind of getting run over over and over and over again but you know, it, it is a sign that there is still some growth to do. They've never finished higher than fourth in the Western Conference to date. Um, and, uh, I mean, eventually they're going to need to score goals, right? Because the other side of this isn't just that they conceded four, it's that they scored zero. So if they can get Ramon Avila going, their new striker who's on loan from Boca Juniors with a purchase option, that'll do wonders for them. But, uh, yeah, I think the expected goals on that was something like 2.8 to 0.9, and that feels about right. It was a pretty clear victory for the Sounders. Um, and uh, I, I think that a lot of us wrote off the Sounders maybe a little too soon. I've never seen them start a season with this much conviction uh, since Brian Schmetzer took over. I want to ask you about the Sounders. First, I want to ask you about uh, Ramon Avila. You mentioned him there uh, a moment ago. Uh, he comes on, I think, in the second half. He has two, I wouldn't say good looks. He just makes makes them into good looks with, with two pretty good shots. Obviously, no goals. How much of him have you seen? What do you know about him? Because I know he scored goals for Boca. I know he's on loan, as you said. He. I can't tell if he He's just a, I want to be very sensitive here, but like, I can't tell if he's just a bigger framed guy or if he also had a little bit of the Gonzalo Higuain preseason to him. So I I don't really have the familiarity with him to say one way or the other. I'm wondering what your thoughts were. Yeah, when when they were finalizing the terms for it, I think that there was one joke that I saw from a Boca Juniors fan account uh, replying to the reporter who had said once Abila learns what uh, a Burger King is, he'll never come back to Argentina. Um, So unfortunately Uh-oh. i think that kind of part of the scouting report is that he's never looked like uh he, he's built more like a relief pitcher how's that yes um which, which is yes. okay they, you, there are still some very good examples of pitchers starters and relievers who have done very well uh despite <laughs> not necessarily uh putting in all mm-hmm. their reps in the gym um but i think with him it's it's less about 
some of these finesse things. He's not going to be a striker who's creating his own chances. He's not going to be someone who's going to, you know, try to take on center backs and left backs on the dribble like Joseph. He's not going to be doing some of that like a Darwin Quintero where he's just going to size someone up and try to chip them. Of course, he's a true center forward, not a second striker like Quintero for a reference point for Minnesota United fans. But I think that he is someone who is going to be a little more reliant on the service. And that's great news for Minnesota because he got a fair amount of service at Boca Juniors from Emmanuel Reynoso. And so I think that with the loan with purchase, he's what, 31 years old, I think roughly. Um, there were some Boca fans who weren't happy that they let him go. He'd scored something like four goals in 20 games, which is very fitting because today is 420 um, in his most recent season with Boca. And so that's why they deemed him expendable. But he had been so consistent for a few years before that as well. Um, I, I think that the idea there is that he's going to be someone who just is a confident finisher. Uh, last year, Minnesota United made it to the conference final in spite of never having a starting striker, which is frankly pretty remarkable in this league. Um and whether or not they're able to get more out of him could be the difference between them, you know, avoiding that sort of a collapse or not even being in a position to risk a collapse if they get back to that game this year. And it is also the case that they're playing a Seattle team who, as you said, are, are very motivated. So going with the sort of give it 10 weeks or so to see how things go, it might be that this is just a particularly good Seattle squad. And maybe Minnesota will be fine, but Seattle... I didn't really see this coming, or maybe it's just because I didn't like know as much about them in relation to knowing that Jordan Morris wasn't going to be there, and so maybe I waited that too much. But we had the Roldan brothers looking very good. Raul Ruiz misses a penalty but gets a brace. Freddie Montero scores on his return. Uh, so I, I, ha- I came away from this thinking the Sounders have a, like many more tools than I expected and look a lot stronger than... I expected, which isn't even saying I thought they were going to be bad or particularly weak. It's just they came out and made me feel like, okay, this is the team that could challenge for the West. What did you make of that victory for them and where they might be in terms of the Western Conference? I think that's a really good way of putting it, Taylor, is just saying that there are more tools than I gave them credit for because it wasn't even just Jordan Morris's injury because I think that after the 2020 season, I think most MLS fans assumed Seattle wouldn't have Jordan Morris this season. Because the, the idea was that he was going to go to Swansea right, and then he was going to stick around, whether it was with the Swans or with another team in England. Dude, that's um, a good point, yeah. So, so I think that when we're going into the offseason, the question was, what formation are they going to have to use to be able to get more out of the attack? Or are they going to be trying to bring in a like-for-like, which they didn't do? But they lost Gustav Svensson, who was one of the more underappreciated midfielders in MLS. But to be fair, most box-to-box midfielders are very underappreciated uh, by the nature of the position. Um, but they lost uh, Kelvin Leardam. They lost Jovan Jones. Uh, Roman Torres had played a little bit of a role in key minutes. And I, I think that it, it wasn't quite a full like changing of the guard or anything, but it definitely felt like a lot of the players who had played key roles in crucial moments over the Brian Schmetzer era had been shown the door, you know, either on their own accord or injuries, what have you. So I think that at that point, you look and say, okay, who's coming in? There wasn't necessarily someone who was that obvious of an upgrade. Freddie Montero, really? Yeah, he looked okay with Vancouver last year, but Vancouver was feeding everything to him. And at his age, is he still going to be able to do that same sort of wonder? I mean, he's a different player than he was when he first broke through with them in the bygone decade, right? But I, I think that there's a more confident game to him around the box in a different way where it's not just like brash confidence but it's veteran confidence and so I think being able to tap into that helps make the loss of Jordan Morris a little easier to swallow if for no other reason than it's someone else that the fans are really going to get up for like they did for Jordan Morris um but I think I mean they, they played this game without Nicholas Lodero which makes it even more 
uh, worrisome, I suppose, for the Western Conference. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Without their best player. Um, so, so that's going to be something that's going to be uh, even scarier to look at. But, you know, I mean, like, you got some great minutes out of Josh Atencio, homegrown player, uh, who had played for Tacoma Defiance, but frankly, Seattle has not put a ton of stock into the form players have shown with the Tacoma Defiance in the USL. It is much more about how do they look compared to the rest of our squad. They weren't necessarily a, a USL MLS2 team that was winning games ever. So uh, <laughs> so in that sense, I think that he showed that maybe his learning curve isn't going to be as steep as some people assumed it might be. Will Bruin is timeless and probably younger than I think he is. Um <laughs> You know, I, I just think that there's it, it is a very, very solid roster. Uh, knew who looked much better as a left center back than I could have ever imagined uh, or maybe just a little more restrained than I had thought that he was capable of. Um, yeah, I mean, like I had the Sounders, I think, somewhere around fourth through sixth in my preseason predictions that I decided not to tweet out. Uh, <laughs> not for any reason. I was just like, <laughs> this is just like a thankless thing. And it's never like, I'm glad I did that sort of moment and i'm just trying to be online a little bit less than i usually am so yeah uh it's, it's always it's always a risky thing with, with with tweeting those type of predictions because for every like oh if only i tweeted that people would know that i thought that early on right. there's the 15 times that you did tweet it and you were totally wrong and <laughs> it does not go that well <laughs> exactly and it's just like i don't know it's 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 a monsoon of replies of have you even been watching this team and if yeah. i say yes <laughs> then then i'm a jerk so i you know just just sat that one out i made my picks on the website i made two bold predictions for the season that chris wandelowski would be part of the golden boot race this year and that austin fc would be the highest finishing texan team and uh that's it that's all i'm giving people what were your predictions for montreal if you don't mind my asking they get the 4-2 win over toronto another result that i wasn't necessarily expecting and i think was actually surprised by this one did surprise me where did you have montreal in your estimations uh, very close to the bottom. <laughs> I, I think that there were about four teams in the Eastern Conference that I looked at and said, like, any of these could finish somewhere between fourth to the bottom to the bottom. And so I, I pretty much just, like, drew numbers and, and put the teams in that position. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, the, the I'd, I'd also written a piece for The Athletic right before the season of one big question. Uh, and when I say right before the season, I mean the day the season started, it published um, of, like, what is one big question that could uh, make or break each team season. And mine was how hard are they going to have to hit reset after Thierry Henry left? Because the the focus of preseason at that point, when he had resigned, like days before preseason or right as the first MLS teams were reporting, um, the focus wasn't on Wilfred Nancy. It wasn't on the players returning. It wasn't on the new faces like uh, George Mihalovic. It was on what are they going to do without Thierry Henry, right? And And so I think that there was a point to prove for players like Mason Toy who had been brought in and were very public in their admiration of Thierry Henry, the player, uh, to say like, hey, wait a minute, we, we still have something going here. We made the playoffs last year. Yes, everyone made the playoffs last year, but it was more, I think that they were just like one point out of sixth place in the Eastern Conference, where it wouldn't have been a fluke um, for them to have been represented in 2020. Um, let's build off of that. And let's, we have no expectations, so we have nothing, nothing to let ourselves down over, right? Like, just play with abandon. And I think that you saw that in the first half, they were really on the front foot uh, in this game between two Canadian teams being played in Florida. They were um, not afraid of the climate, which is good to see because they're going to have to get used to that climate for the foreseeable future. Um, and, and I just think that there's, there's some 
some really good talent on that roster. They're, they're probably too deep at center forward, which is a weird problem to be pointing out. Uh, but I think at a certain point it's going to be okay. Who's getting the minutes. Um, but you're right. I mean that they, they looked better than Toronto. Granted Toronto was also coming off of a very grueling two leg tie in the CONCACAF champions league where they were playing a high press system for 180 minutes in that fixture. And then they played a high pressing system for another 90 minutes. So I think Chris Armas just has to kind of get used to, um, how much to dose that in this team in the early going of the season. A lot of young players on Toronto, which they will see as a good thing, not a bad thing. So then I think that as we assess Toronto's performances, we should also be looking at that as that is their choice. That is not a byproduct of injury or fatigue or what have you that we will with some other teams when they're very homegrown heavy, right? So, you know, I, I think that it, it's it's early days for them as well. But Montreal looked the part it was one of the more impressive performances that i saw throughout the entire weekend in the league this episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive nba prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an nba game and more head over to michelobultra.com slash courtside to learn more and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So if we're going to like hold off on, on judging Toronto on for any number of reasons, but yeah, I'm with you on, on CCL being a big factor there. Let's stick with uh, Montreal's club foot, which I think is what we're supposed to call them, right? Um, mm-hmm. they, it does seem like they had a really strong start. You get Mihailovic scoring uh, the final goal. I think it was uh, Kyoto being just really, really fast, which is no surprise. But when Yama with the header, Mason Toy blasting one of the top corner, uh, all of that is very positive. You mentioned earlier, like the big question was, what will they do without Thierry Henry? We do have a partial answer, but I wanted to ask you, like in a more literal way, what will they do? As in, how do you expect them to play? What did you learn from this game that sort of informs what your expectations are for Montreal for the rest of the season? Not necessarily where they're going to finish or how good are they going to be, but just sort of what is their style going to be? What are some things you saw that you think we'll continue to see from them? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think that they're still going to have to work through some of that. But the, the idea was that uh, Nancy wouldn't be like a continuation. It wouldn't just be like, OK, I'm just going to grab his notes and try to work off of the same script. Right. Like as if uh, there was a changing of the guard or whatever. Um, I think that they really did want to eventually have some sort of unique philosophy. But I think that they were a team that played a higher line of engagement than maybe I was used to. They were they were quicker i i think that when i think of the best team from the best teams and performances that they had in the impact era i'm not often thinking about breakaways i'm not thinking about goals where it's three on two um i'm thinking about well-worked goals i'm thinking about set pieces i'm thinking about finding marco de in the box i'm thinking of didier drogba doing weird drogba things right but you know i think that they looked a little more athletic they looked a little bit more confident to stretch themselves more than maybe that they had under Henri and other uh, other managers in years gone by. Um, I, I, I like the the kind of three-man midfield that they got right now with Mihailovic and uh, Piet and Wanyama. It was strange to see Wanyama score a goal. <laughs> That's just... Uh, <laughs> it really was. Wasn't it? It yeah. was just like... It, 
and it, not in like a not in like a bad way. Not like it was like an awkward goal. It was just like, oh, him. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. Yeah, because because he's another one who I think the narrative going in, at least that I saw, was sort of like, can he still do it? Is he past it? He doesn't have the legs for the Premier League. He doesn't maybe have the legs for Europe. Is he going to be able to handle this? And I don't think those questions are necessarily answered. But I think to see him come in and get what I. It's not quite a towering header. We need something just underneath that. But it's a powerful <laughs> header. He puts it back across the goal. It's in. He's got the choreographed dance at the end. I liked all that. But it was just a nice, like, oh, yeah, him. He's fun. This is great. Right. Yeah. And, and, and good for him, by the way, because I would imagine there's a certain point where no matter how little you say you listen to social media uh-huh. or to media at large, you probably notice if, you, if you're like, oh, I moved from Tottenham to Montreal because they don't think I'm fit enough. Yikes. Right. Like at some point that has to register. So, I mean, it was good to see. Uh, I mean, they play wide, which worked pretty well for them. I think that, I mean, they set up uh, their, their, their wing backs to be able to have that sort of freedom as well. Um, yeah, I mean, like I liked a lot of what they did. Do I think that it's necessarily sustainable? Uh, again, too soon. <laughs> I am now going to be swearing by and living by my 10 game rule. I like that. Uh, Partially out of convenience, frankly, because it just makes it sound like I have a method to this. But it's just it's a feels like index. Right. And I think that there's yeah. a certain point this weekend, too, where the feels like index, if the track record is trustworthy enough, like like Seattle. Right. Like I'm not necessarily saying I need another nine games to have to know if Seattle are going to be a contender in the West. They're they're firmly back into that sort of top three discussion, in my opinion, after that one game. But it's very different for Montreal's uh, foot club. I, I think that it is going to be a case where you are. Um, <laughs> You're having to look at who starts, right? Like because Mason Toy played for Minnesota United for a few years, and I'm based out of Minnesota, which is why this discussion keeps coming back to them. But um, he was somebody where he would be very confident for a month and a half, and then he would go through extended stretches where nothing was going his way, and where he his his first touch wasn't coming off the way he wanted. His shots were going higher and wider than he's used to. He's maybe not getting the ball in positions that he likes nearly as often. Um, if he is. I mean, now he's in his fourth season. If he's worked through that, he can be a figure who can have impacts on games uh, in a similar way to like Jeremy Abobasi. And I think that that would be something that is a huge value to Montreal. Uh, if he's still going to need a little bit more time to build that confidence, well, they've got Eric Hurtado. But if Eric Hurtado comes in, that changes the way that they're playing as well. So I, I think that I do still need those extra nine weeks to get a better sense of uh, what Nancy wants from this team. But heck of a way to start your season if you're Montreal. Yeah, not too bad at all. Uh, the 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 word that I think, or the phrase that maybe you could use is uh, from Kate McKinnon on SNL playing Laura Ingram. I think she, she coined the term feel facts, which are things that <laughs> feel like they're facts. And so we're going to count them as facts. That's what your 10-week <laughs> one should be. It's a feel fact. Yes, I uh, love it. Two other games I wanted to talk about. One I had planned to, one I messaged Jeff to just see like which games he had been watching. He mentioned this one and... Now we're going to talk about Chicago 2, New England 2. Chicago jumped out to a 2-0 lead. I thought uh, Luka Stojanovic looked really, really good. Uh, he has the, like, like the, it's a good goal. I mean, it's just like, it's the late arriving run. He insteps it. It's a good finish. But the ball for the opener splits the lines, plays the teammate in. It's just, it's, it's a really nice pass. I think he gets the MLS assist on that one. How much do you know about him and how big a role he will have for Chicago this season? Yeah, not as much, but I think that that's part of why I wanted to watch Chicago so concentratedly uh, is is that there's so much of this team where they're all coming back, but because so much was in flux last year and mm-hmm. we were all still going through our collection of 
fire rebrand means. And we were <laughs> busy being told how Soldier Field itself was going to be saving this club that we maybe didn't pay as much attention to the roster as we should have. And they only finished one point out of the bloated postseason, which is 11th place, which most years that's not even worth pointing out. But this year, I guess we have to. So, yeah, I wanted to watch a little bit more of the fire. I wanted to see what uh, Raphael Wiki is working on there, um, which is actually a very difficult sentence to say. And I'm glad I got it on the first try. Um, Thank you. Thank you. But, uh, you know, they were another one of those teams, by the way, that 70 minutes in really started to show that the preseason had kind of caught up on them. Um, I want to I want to make sure I answer your question. Sorry. Which player did you want to talk about? Uh, Lucas Stojanovic. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he is, um, he is also one that I'm, I'm not nearly as familiar mm-hmm. with admittedly. Um, I think that he, uh, oh man, I'm, I'm trying to even remember this is going to be a terrible part of the show. <laughs> uh, can, but, can, like sporting, K, not sporting KC, uh, sporting club to Portugal originally. And then I think a lot of different loan moves and temporary moves and he ends up with the fire. Yeah. And I, I think that when you see a player, I don't know if you've noticed this with, with press releases and with player announcements, what have you, uh, in Major League Soccer and in other leagues in the country. But when the headline item is the first cl- the academy that yeah. they played for, mm-hmm. that is a worrying sign. This Jamatino, right? Jamatino, the left back. I think it was always like he was a Sporting CP Academy product and is now going to be the yeah. number one draft pick. And it was like, I that feels like a jump between he played for their academy <laughs> and now he's the number one pick. But OK, sure. Yes, right. I think whenever you get the academy one. It can be good, but also like, is that what we're leading with? That's not great. I would rather have scored forty goals last season. Yeah, there was a there was a, a player that an MLS team scored or scored signed this offseason, uh, where they had announced as a former Barca B player. And then I like went to their their Wikipedia page just to see what clubs they played at. And they'd last played for Barca B in like twenty sixteen and had played for other clubs for the last five years. It was like, let's just Let's just say who they are now, not what they thought they were going to be five years ago. Do you remember who um, that was? Because it's going to annoy. Is it, is it Victor Vasquez? Is that who it was who played for Barcelona way back when? It was somebody, Western Conference. Okay. Um, I'll pull it up and I'll, I'll send it to you to put in the show notes <laughs> if you want like, to dox this guy. But um, <laughs> no, but I mean, like with Stojanovic, I, I think that Serbian, I want to say Serbian, right? Yes, Serbian. Um, yeah. Nodding, I, I think, sure. <laughs> Great. Nodding is also, by the way, a very good thing to do on an audio only format. Uh, there's a podcast I listen to called Blank Check. Uh, it's a movies podcast. I almost referenced it earlier when talking about the name of Montreal, because uh, there's a certain movie where you can say it any number of different combinations and it still makes sense. Uh, but in that one, uh, I learned the nodding technique from the other one of the co-hosts to the one of them will go on long, long monologues as I'm doing now. And the other one will just kind of silently let that happen. And when there is a pause, we'll just say, like, nodding as a way to show that they agree and then keep the conversation moving. And it it is a good way to explain it because, yes, otherwise there's a lot of times that I'm nodding and you're not aware that I'm nodding because we are not physically together. No, we are not. No. And because I am horizontal right now in bed recovering my back, we are not even looking at each other, which we usually do. That's true as well. That makes sense. Look, we just padded the runtime for a minute talking about nodding. That's excellent. This podcast never ceases to amaze me. Um, What I do remember about Stojanovic was that he was a player who had signed in 2020 and that he had torn, I want to say his MCL. I don't think it was an ACL tear, but he had missed a substantial part of last year where I think that with him, when that player comes back, it's either a convenient excuse or a genuine boost for the head coach who can say, I had big things in mind for that player. They were gone. That's why we didn't meet the expectations I had set. You want that player to perform well then when they come back. 
uh, certainly looked pretty good in the first half. I think that all of Chicago, for that matter, looked pretty good in the first half. I think that they looked electric. I think that they looked um, up for it. And and maybe the first half is too generous. Maybe it's actually the first two thirds of the first half. Um, <laughs> because then... Uh, I was going to ask you about this. Yep. The Bruce Arena magic comes out mm-hmm. and um, New England just finds two goals. And and part of this was hard earned. Part of this was just convenience and plenty of spaces being available to them and some really poor defensive miscommunication on the back line. And I think that as we look at the Chicago Fire, um, again, a lot of players who are less known compared to most of their MLS counterparts which then you say, okay, well, they have an analytics department and they have a scouting department. So in theory, it's because they're doing their homework and we need to be proven by these guys. Though I will admit their international signings over the last couple of years have not necessarily moved the needle nearly as much as they were in the early part of the 2010s, for example. Um, Nodding. But then uh, the, the back line looked like an area of concern. And there had been some issues throughout the season and all four of those players came back to be regular starters and a goalkeeper as well with Bobby Shuttleworth, um, where it was just like a a communication issue where it didn't, you saw it in preseason. I don't know. There was this clip that circulated from my colleague, Paul Tenorio, um, where he watched exactly 30 seconds of MLS preseason. It was the Chicago Fire's first game. And there was a routine back pass that went under Bobby Shuttleworth's foot and in for an own goal. And he was like, and I'm just going to turn it off at this point. And this is all the preseason I'm going to get this year. Um, where there's just like these little moments that for whatever reason kind of keeps them from building into their momentum. Um, the fact that they were able to come back after halftime and keep New England off the board, that is a step forward for them, I will say. I, I think that that does show that there's maybe a little bit more of a uh, uh, determined concentration, maybe, uh, than there was throughout large portions of last season i they are another one of those teams i had around montreal's spot where i'm like okay uh, let's just pick a number for these teams and that's probably where they'll finish uh new england on the other hand i am much higher on i had them winning the eastern conference in the regular season this year so for them to get a point away from home in the season opener will also be seen as a good point for them especially given how they started in the first 10 15 minutes but then if you have them fig- finishing so high, being such a strong team, why do you think it stopped there? Because it is 2-2 after, what, like 27 minutes of there about it felt poised for a lot more to happen, and then not a lot more happens in terms of goals, at least. Uh, is that just fatigue and early season uh, sort of form being found out? Like, w- what do you think is the next step for them in sort of cementing that top spot status? Yeah, I think so. I think that this team is also, there are, there's been some great, writing done by a couple of different people. I'm thinking especially of uh, a piece that MLS Soccer put together in the week leading up to the season where they looked at how where everyone in the world says that the 10 position is kind of dead and that people have moved on from having a true playmaker who that's their only focus. Um, MLS is still very, very much happy to give those players a safe space to be able to do their thing. And, and Carlos Gill is one of the best players in that sort of uh, a mentality. I mean, he was MLS best 11 in 2019, missed most of 2020, came back and helped catalyze their run to the Eastern Conference final last year against Columbus. Uh, they are still incredibly reliant on him to be able to do any form of playmaking. They have converted um, American soccer's beloved Tommy McNamara into something <laughs> of a holding midfielder. They've got Matt Polster um, as a holding mid- midfielder as well. I swear the number of MLS fantasy teams that I had in the 2015, 16, and 17 seasons with Matt Polster and Tommy McNamara as two of my midfielders as bargain bin, sell high kind of options. <laughs> it's just great to see them finally play in a real game together. Um, but those players are not necessarily going to be taking the burden 
off of Carlos Gill in terms of playmaking. The other two DPs they have are both essentially center forwards um, with Buxa and with Gustavo Bo. Um, so they need someone who's going to be able to do more of that work. Once Chicago kind of glommed on to Carlos Gill, New England really struggled to find a second route. I, I think that they had Tejan Buchanan playing on the right wing, uh, showed a lot of energy, but did not necessarily have that same sort of uh, chance creation uh, tendency. Uh, so then the, you have to start sending some fullbacks up, and that's not going to work for you every time. So um, it, it, they just need to find a, a, a better way to be a little bit more uh, consistent, to have that sort of plan B option to be able to get the ball out wide or be able to send the ball centrally when you have Gil playing as something of a left winger like they did in this game as his kind of default positioning to cut inside on his right foot. Um, but if they are able to figure out a more dependable font for creativity outside of him, uh, I think that they will be in very good position to challenge throughout the season. All right. And final game I wanted to ask you about was LAFC 2, Austin FC 0. Uh, we have Austin FC, the expansion team. We have LAFC, the juggernaut, but they did not have Diego Rossi. They had a very limited Carlos Vela because, uh, for folks who missed it, basically, he had a minor injury. He was signaling to the bench that he needed treatment, which they interpreted as he needed a sub. So he was subbed off prematurely. Bob Bradley owning that one, but they still win despite not having those two players really so with all that kind of groundwork laid, which performance was more impressive to you? That LAFC end up getting the 2-0 win without those two big players? Or that Austin FC, the expansion side, come in and do sort of frustrate LAFC, do create some chances of their own? Obviously don't get the goals, don't get any points, but still are able to sort of limit the impact of one of MLS's best teams. Yeah, I, I think realistically, that was about the best you could have hoped for out of Austin's debut, mm -hmm. which I don't think that their fans will love to hear. But it's hard to imagine a much more unfriendly welcome to Major League Soccer than going to play at LAFC, um, <laughs> regardless of who's on the field, because they're all so used to, at this point, what Bob Bradley wants out of them, that even when a replacement comes in, uh, yes, you're losing some of the individual one-on-one -on -one brilliance of Avela or Rossi, but... The, the the system is going to work as intended, regardless of who's in it, as long as they've been there for a couple of months. So uh, in that sense, I think that uh, Austin at times showed some very good defensive shape. I think Matt Beasler played like he was a few years younger. There were plenty of times I can think of him making that kind of last chance tackle where he had to get it right, not necessarily to avoid a penalty kick, but to avoid giving a, a gilded chance in the box for LAFC. And he had about 100% success rate throughout the game. Is that going to be an ideal defensive strategy moving forward with Matt Beasler at this point of his career? No, but that is good to see that that is still in his locker. It is very reminiscent to what Dax McCarty was able to do leading Nashville last season in a different position. Um, the midfield looked capable as well. They weren't necessarily getting blitzed through over and over and over again. It was a little bit more difficult for LAFC to step into their game, especially after Vela left. Um, but Danny Hurzen at this level, I mean, he's, he's been in MLS for four seasons and only once he scored more than five goals, despite playing over half of the minutes San Jose had in their seasons. Uh, that is not a return you want from your striker. Striker uh, Cecilio Dominguez didn't quite have that same sort of uh, je ne sais quoi that you look for out of your designated players, especially the guy wearing the 10 shirt. You're going to want someone. I, I know Carlos Gill wears 22, but you want someone like that. You want someone like um, Lodero, someone who's going to be able to come in on the ball and, and just be able to, when you're in a rough spell where the defense has your other winger's number or your striker's number, 
just keep them a little nervous so that they aren't able to build ahead of confidence and then turn that into attacking intention. And then for LAFC side of it, the the Vela thing, I think, was very uh it was definitely high drama, right? It was great for a national telecast like that. I don't think I even disagree with the decision from Bob Bradley. I know that he has to say it's a mistake because it's his star player and you want to keep that relationship at 100% at any given moment. But I'm not risking a player coming off of uh, mm. a similar injury from 2020 and I'm not risking him in the home opener of a 34-game season against an expansion team in the first half when he's grabbing that same area of his body. I'm subbing him off every single time and I'm saying, look, this is not the game to push this. So... It was good to see that they still have that sort of goal-scoring potential on the roster, even when he and Rossi are out. Um, will they be even more scary when they're back? Absolutely. But Latif Blessing looked more inventive than we've seen from him since he left Sporting Kansas City. I think that he looked like somebody who or he was brought in as someone who would be more of an attacker. He would transition to a two-way midfielder, but he looked very good in the final third. I think that that's encouraging if you're LAFC. Um, so, again, they're, they're a team that I look at. I've got them winning MLS Cup this year. Um, I, I certainly see why <laughs> I, I see why I myself have them winning in that one game. But, <laughs> you know, it, I, I still think that there are going to be some serious questions about how they will be able to fare if they ever miss Atuesta, whether or not the defense is solid enough, what have you, that keep them from being a clear front runner like maybe they look to be at the start of last season. But they still look like they're going to be pretty dang good throughout the duration. No arguments here. We have talked about five games, I do believe, which is. A decent amount for two people to handle. Uh, there are obviously many, many more games and many more teams that we have not gotten to. My hope would be to get to more of them over the course of the next few weeks so we have a better idea of uh, who these teams are, who their key players are going to be. And hopefully we'll have Jeff on again to talk about some of them before week 10, and then we can evaluate <laughs> then. Uh, for now, that Jeff, before I let you go, are there any teams that you think like stood out in either a positive way or a negative way that we haven't yet talked about? Are there teams that you think are, oh, wow, they are going to be as strong or way stronger than I thought they would be, and vice versa? Are there teams that you think you looked at and thought they have a lot of work still to do to figure this team out? Yeah, um, Houston impressed me. Uh, I think that Houston looked a little bit more cohesive than I expected. They never really showed it in Tab Ramos's first year. Uh, and, and so that was my question for them was, you know, what does a Tab Ramos attack look like? Because we never got to see it. Um, being able to play that well without uh, Darwin Quintero starting, um, who was seen as the kind of, I mean, their only designated player, but he's also seen as like the main spark plug that they do have in their attack. And to see Tyler Pasher finally getting his return to MLS, he had had one game with Sporting Kansas City, spent years in the USL, got signed this year for a, a modest transfer fee from Indy 11 to the Houston Dynamo, started, got an assist. Uh, really good moment for him. Uh, they also looked very happy to exploit the issues that have continued to plague the San Jose Earthquakes throughout the Matias Almeida era. And I think that there's just still these pockets of space that continue to present themselves inevitably with how teams play against teams who are using a man-marking structure. And they still have not figured out how to mitigate for that factor. So on the flip side of that, then San Jose, I'm a little more worried about them than I thought. I would have thought that in a third preseason, they could have figured it out. It's early. I'm giving myself nine more games, <laughs> but um, <laughs> definitely not the opening that they will have wanted to have. Um, I think that, uh, let me see who else. Vancouver, Vancouver won against Portland. And this is another case of a team playing um, aside coming off a pretty grueling, at least first leg uh, against Maratone in their CONCACAF Champions League. They, they absolutely blew the, the pants off of them in the second leg. But, you know, that's 180 competitive emotional minutes that they're coming off of that Vancouver wouldn't have had. And Vancouver, over the last 
two years of the Mark Dos Santos era had been a team that were just embracing pressure, that were sometimes giving teams 30, 40 shots. <laughs> and, and granted, they weren't all on target, but that's a, a ridiculous amount of shots to be allowing your opponent to have. Um, but they they went out this offseason. They brought in uh, some players in the midfield, like uh, Kyle Alexandra, that they look at as being able to possess the ball more, create more of these chances, settle the game down a little bit more and give them a bit more quality to dictate the game at their own tempo rather than just hoping that they're always going to be four counterattacks where they can convert two of them. Um, keeping a clean sheet, really good for them. Limiting Portland to less than 10 shots, if I remember right, very good for them, uncharacteristic for them. Um, you know, moving forward, are you going to need to see more from the attack always? You know, I, I think that there's still some questions about if they have the attacking pieces in the right spots. Um, besides like a Lucas Cavallini, where you're going to be able to look at them and say, yes, they can score the goals necessary to grind out these sorts of results and get back in the postseason and be a similar level of threat to the Western Conference that they were during the height of Carl Robinson's tenure. Um, nine weeks to figure that out, though, right? So Nine weeks, indeed. Um, there we go. The feel, the feel fact rule in effect and the, and the 10-week rule in effect. Um, Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about all these games and all these teams. I think I'm also correct in saying to sort of timestamp date this one that you and I have chosen to record in the hour in which all of the news has broken. Cause I think the European super league might be dead. <laughs> um, I have to go check that. I know Ed Woodward has resigned during the, during our recording. So things seem to be changing. Things seem to be fluid. So um, it did my whole bit of just calling it the European soccer league actually killed the super league. I think that's I'm, probably what happened. I think they heard that and they were like, wow, that's the final nail. That's what did it. So yeah, Jeff, right. I think you can claim credit for that. Even from a recumbent position. <laughs> Excellent. That's all I've ever wanted in life. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> to, to claim victories from a recumbent position. <laughs> so. uh, well, Jeff, thank you again for, ta- for taking the time to uh, make sense of all these games and all these teams, and I look forward uh, to doing so again in the very near future. Sounds great. Sounds great.